I wonder what Jesus is thinking and feeling as he passes by the sheep gate and sees the man sitting there by the pool waiting for the water to stir. Maybe Jesus recalls that he saw that same man in that very spot last year on the way to the festival and the year before that and the year before that. In fact, he remembers seeing that man there since he was a little boy. Every time the family gathered for his festival, he was there. He's been there for 38 years, perched on a mohair blanket about 10 feet from the edge of the pool. Surely by now, surely, he could have devised some kind of strategy for inching a wee bit closer to the pool so that when the moment came that the wind blew and the water rippled, he could just kind of lean over and fall into the holy water and be cured. Or maybe Jesus is shaking his head and wondering why the health care system in Jerusalem is so archaic and inadequate, a pool full of beggars suffering from, with MS and AIDS and schizophrenia. Does Jesus surmise that this man has perhaps grown comfortable with his afflictions and lost his will to get better, that he's always one of those guys making feeble excuses about how he will get around next year to making a plan for how to change his life for the better? Or do you think that Jesus looks upon him with mercy and wonder and says to himself, why does no one love him enough to help him get in the water when it ripples? I also wonder what the paralyzed man thought when someone he didn't even know walked up to him and started meddling in his business, I picture him lounging awkwardly on the blanket, not recognizing the face of Jesus, not even knowing the name of this man, tempted to ignore him, because after all, there are always do-gooders coming around here to try to help people, and yet nothing ever really changes. Everything seems the same. Maybe he feels like I did when I gathered recently with some colleagues to talk about how our congregation and their predominantly African-American congregation might partner together to work on the tensions between races within our own city. And we lamented that we had had this same conversation and begun a project together with our two congregations almost 30 years ago, and yet it seems that today the tensions are just as high, maybe worse some days, than they were then. Does change happen in one lifetime? Should we just accept that this is the way things are and there is very little we can do to change it? I picture that man there on his mohair blanket thinking, well, I'll just wiggle my toes a bit and then beginning to bend his feet and finally moving his whole leg and then bearing a little bit of weight on it and getting up slowly balancing with his hand before he stands feeling his back creak and then saying I can walk I can walk and he's folding up that mohair blanket tucking it under his arms taking just a few baby steps away from the pool. And he's looking at the other, the blind and the lame around him, wondering if they too 
might receive a miracle or if they're resentful of him. We don't know the response, but we do know that those who called themselves religious criticized him. You know you can't carry around your blankets in a grocery cart on the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. That is the fourth commandment, and you are violating God's day of rest. I wonder if he felt simultaneously elated about his ability to walk and defeated personally. You preach love, you preach grace, and folks behave badly. You teach your kids to share, and they argue on the way home from church. You go on a mission trip to help the poor overseas, and when you get home and you're so excited, you're telling a friend about it, and she says, you know we have poor people right here in Kansas City. I wonder also how the religious folks felt when they saw Jesus performing this healing miracle on the Sabbath. They did what good religious folk often do. They called an emergency committee meeting. One of the respected elders said, well, we've never done it this way before. And the preacher said, it's not that we're against change per se, but keeping the Sabbath is a big deal. They didn't just believe that they were to keep the Sabbath. They thought that the Sabbath kept them, for it was by praying and resting and lighting candles and singing songs and telling stories that they found week after week their strength was renewed and it was how they kept the community life going and passed on the traditions of the faith to the next generation. Without Sabbath, they knew they would die individually and collectively. By disrespecting the Sabbath, Jesus has crossed a boundary that must be enforced. Jesus meant well. I know he did. I knew his parents, Mary and Joseph. But why didn't he have the wisdom to wait one more day to heal this man who had been sick for 38 years? What was one day going to hurt? Jesus is provoking us. He must be stopped. And already you can see it. The stage has been set for a crucifixion. What do you think when you hear this tale from John's Gospel? Is there one character in the story that you gravitate to, that you most relate to, that you can imagine you would be had you been there that day? Were you Jesus getting in trouble for doing good but with poor timing? Are you the paralyzed man stuck in a rut? Or are you a member of the God Squad, you know, part of the religious establishment, trying to make sure that everyone stays on the straight and narrow, doing what's best, doing the right thing? John, or maybe it's the person who writes this gospel called John, senses that there is some kind of tension, some kind of spiritual controversy, and I wonder if part of it was in the early church, the first Christians, trying to figure out what to make of this person called Jesus. What role was he to play in their lives, in their life of faith? What did it mean to believe in him? What did it mean to follow him, to walk in his ways? In her book, Mixed Blessings, Barbara Brown Taylor writes about the first people who received 
cataract surgery and it was successful. And they weren't folks like me and folks a little older than me who find that their eyesight is declining and they go in for a quick cataract surgery. No, these were those who had been born blind. After receiving their sight, they were each interviewed to ask, what did you see? And one girl said that she was so stunned by the radiance that she decided to keep her eyes shut for two weeks until she finally opened them just a little bit and said, oh God, it is so beautiful. And some realized that they were becoming self-conscious for the first time in their lives. They'd never thought about what they looked like in a mirror and now they could see that. One man wrote to the surgeon saying that his daughter had taken to walking around the house with her eyes closed because that is how she was more comfortable and she often seemed happiest when she was pretending to still be blind. And a 15-year-old boy told his dad that he wanted to go back to the home for blind children where he left his girlfriend. And he said, if things aren't altered, I'm going to tear my eyes out. John invites us to see in a way that we have never seen before and to live in a way that feels uncomfortable and unfamiliar. Following Jesus, we may experience the urge to go back and live in the old ways, for sometimes it's just easier to not see. Austin Channing Brown was a young college student. She was studying in Chicago when her roommate invited her to go on a short field trip to visit some museums in the South. It was part of her roommate's class, and they were each told to bring along another student. About half the students who boarded the bus were African-American, and the other half were white, and a few were biracial. And one of the places they visited was a museum that was all about lynchings in our country between the late 1800s and the first half of the 1900s. And as the students walked down the hall of this museum, looking at photograph after photograph after photograph of people in our country who had been lynched, they were all thinking, where was my family during this history? After the photographs of those who had been lynched, there were some other pieces of history. One was a newspaper article inviting folks in the community to the lynching as if it was a community event. And one was a postcard on the front. It had a picture of a man who had been lynched. And on the back was written, sorry we missed you at the barbecue. The students got back on the bus in silence, stunned, unable to speak at all, let alone to one another. It was tense. They wondered, how does a society become so spiritually paralyzed that it is unable to see the ways that it is complicit with evil? And they wondered, what is going on in our day and in our time that we are unable to see? One student spoke up. She said, I cannot erase the pain of the past, but I can work to change the future. And she said something that Austin never forgot. She said these nine words after seeing that museum, doing nothing is no longer an option for me. Like the paralytic man who sat by the pool for 38 years, she took up her mat and she walked. 
The mystic and Catholic priest Anthony Gemello says that spirituality means waking up. And his counterpart in the Jewish tradition, Abraham Heschel, said, our goal should be to live in radical amazement, for to be spiritual is to be amazed. The goal of John's gospel is to get us to reorient our vision, to see something new that amazes us. Well, after the controversial healing of the paralytic, Jesus goes to a place that he's completely at home and comfortable in, the temple. But there, a tense dialogue unfolds between Jesus and the other religious leaders. They are still fuming and plotting to persecute Jesus because of his careless disregard for the Sabbath. But Jesus defends his actions. He counters them by saying, my father is still working, and so I am working. You see, Jesus knew that they knew what you and I may not know, that it was common in Jewish thought that though people are forbidden to work on the Sabbath, that God's work of creation and life continues seven days of, of the week, for the rabbis would converse about how could it be that the Sabbath could roll around and it could rain? God is at work. How could it be that a baby is born on the Sabbath? God's creative, holy energy still unfolding in the world, even on this day of rest. So God is always, forever, and in every moment, the giver of life. And so Jesus says, whatever God does, I do. God gives life, so I give life. Jesus sees his work, not as you and I would see cleaning out a closet this afternoon or working a part-time job at Quick Trip or going by the office and picking up some paperwork and catching up on emails. No, what Jesus sees himself doing is letting the life force and holy energy of God live through him because he wanted to invest his time here on earth letting everyone know that God is for life for life in them, life abundant. And so it was absolutely impossible for him to not heal on the Sabbath. Jesus came that you and I might know that God longs for our wholeness and our fullness. But can't that be easy to forget? How often I lose sight of it. Every year at community camp, a hearty group gets up at 4.30 or 4.45 in the morning and sets out on a hike to Emerald Lake. It's a pretty ordinary hike. Many have already been there earlier in the week. It's only about four miles. They've all seen Emerald Lake before, but on this day, it's different. It's risky. It won't always happen. You can't be sure. But if you get there early enough in the morning, and it is a perfectly still morning, and the wind has not yet rippled on the water of Emerald Lake, you will be able to see a perfect mirror image of the snow-capped mountain reflected in Emerald Lake. And it is so powerful that it gives you vertigo. You cannot tell where the land stops and the heavens begin where the earth of the water and the earth of soil, they are all one. And I remember the first time I saw it. We 
were just chatting and not really paying much attention. And then we came over a little ridge and everyone in the group, children, teenagers, adults, just closed our mouths. And we were enveloped in a holy wonder, resting there in the holy arms of God. And we knew, if only for a moment, that this eternal power was strengthening us to take up our mats and walk. 